so good to worship together this morning. We, uh, we are coming near to the end of our study of First Peter. So if you're new with us, uh, we have been walking through uh, the book of First Peter together, really verse by verse. And this morning we make it to chapter five. We're about to land the plane. We have this week and next week and, and we'll be done. And as we begin our, our passage this morning, um, verse 19 uses the word so, and it really connects what we saw last week to what we're going to see this week. So last week we were in First uh, Peter 4, 12 through 19, and, and it's one of the most important uh, statements about Christian suffering in the New Testament. So last week we were looking at this theme that we've seen really repeatedly in First Peter, which is the theme of suffering. And Peter tells believers not to be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes, that Christians should anticipate suffering being part of the program. And after teaching about how Christians are to suffer, Peter immediately uh, issues an urgent call, what we're seeing this morning, for faithful elders. And, and, and I don't think that these two ideas um, are, are loosely connected. I think they're tightly connected to one another. The church needs faithful elders if it's going to live as a faithful witness for Christ in a harsh world. Peter senses the, the, the critical role that, that elders play in helping weary saints along in the faith. They're going to need encouragement and support from leadership to support them in the journey of living for Jesus. And so Peter has a word for these elders in Asia Minor. That, that word elder that we find in the Greek is, is the word presbuteros. You, you've probably made the connection there that there's a denomination called Presbyterians, and it's from this word that they derive their name. It's, it's the New Testament's favorite word for a church leader. When I was growing up, I grew up Baptist. We didn't have elders. We had pastors, right? But the term pastor is hardly ever used in the New Testament as a noun. It uses the verb shepherd as an action, but it rarely uses the noun pastor as a title for anyone other than Jesus. We see that in our text this morning. Jesus is the chief shepherd. John calls him the good shepherd. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. I, I say this tongue in cheek sometimes, but there, there are occasions where I get introduced as the senior pastor of City Life Church. I just want to make it really clear this morning that I am not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. Um, you could call me a number of things. You could call me the teaching pastor or one of the elders or an obnoxious overseer. You can call me, you could call me a lot of things. Craig Daniel calls me a lot of things. But I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. But what Peter's going to do this morning is he's going to address the elders of the church, which can also be called pastors. And he's going to give a specific charge to them. Something else we notice here in this passage that's consistent in the New Testament is that word for elder is always in the plural. That it's a team of, of elders that are called to shepherd each local church. 
Plurality is the norm. No one person can bear the weight of leading a congregation. A team of leaders is what the New Testament prescribes for each local church. And that's what we find here. And so Peter is going to address these elders in Asia Minor as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ. He, he kind of zeroes in on the pastors to, to the churches in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. We saw that as we began this letter, these, these various places in Asia Minor. He zeroes in on the church leaders, the pastors, the shepherds, and he addresses them, he says, as a brother to brothers, as, a, as an elder to fellow elders, as a pastor to pastors. And yet by including this section in this letter to all the believers in Asia Minor, the whole church gets to listen in on what he has to say to these leaders. And so that's how I'd kind of like to preach this morning. Um, I can see a few of you. I got Craig here and I got Joel here and I got, where's Dossie? I got Dossie over here. Brett's hiding. Um, I'd like to preach this sermon essentially as an elder to the elders with all of you listening in. Because I think it's important for the church to have a healthy understanding of the calling issued to elders. One of my mentors in the faith, Tony Marita, says that talking about church polity is a bit like talking about the air conditioner unit at your house. No one walks into your house and says, man, you got a great AC unit. <laughs> but everyone who comes over will notice if it doesn't work. And that's a bit like church leadership. When, when the church is led by unhealthy leaders, it makes for an uncomfortable, inhospitable culture that's noticeable to everyone. The church suffers under poor leadership, but, but when healthy leaders are in place, the atmosphere is pleasant, and what Peter says is God's grace actually rests upon that church. And so to put it really simply, leadership matters. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to consider Peter's exhortation to the elders. I'd like to notice a particular emphasis he puts on how they're to lead. And then I'd like to observe the environment that he says happens when leaders lead well and the congregation responds to that. And so an exhortation, an emphasis, and then an environment. If I were to ask you what is the main responsibility of an elder, I wonder how you would answer that question. There, there are lots of ideas about the roles and responsibilities of pastors, trust me. The, the, list, the list can get long. But, but what we see here in the text is that the primary task, the primary responsibility of elders is to shepherd the flock. Look at verse two. Peter says, shepherd God's flock among you. The noun form of that word shepherd is, is where we get the term pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. And here Peter is telling the elders of the church to do the work of pastoring, to shepherd the flock. In Acts 20, 28, it's a pretty similar passage to the one we're looking at. Paul is with the elders in Ephesus. He's with the Ephesian elders. And he's about to leave them. He spent two years with them. And now he's about to depart. And he gathers the church leaders together in this sort of like final send-off moment with them. And he tells them in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, 
which he obtained with his own blood. That word translated care in the ESV is actually the same word that Peter uses in verse two of our text, and it more literally translates shepherd. Shepherd the church of God, which Jesus obtained with his own blood. Every local congregation is a flock that Jesus died to redeem. And and therefore, every congregation demands careful attention, Paul says. It must be tended to. And so the call of the shepherd is no small matter. I actually spent some time this week doing a word study of, of shepherd. And we don't have time to do an exhaustive look at, at every time that word is used in the Bible, but I'd like to look at a few this morning. We actually find this word a lot in the Old Testament. And, and oftentimes shepherds, that, that term was, was a term used to refer to, to the leaders of God's people, prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 34, God actually rebukes the leaders of Israel. He, re- he rebukes the shepherds of Israel for their selfish and rank leadership. Listen to what Ezekiel says. He says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. We gather several things from this passage. Here, the prophet Ezekiel is rebuking the leaders of Israel because they were shepherds who were supposed to feed the flock and tend to the flock. They were supposed to strengthen those who were weak and care for those who were injured to rescue the strays that had wandered off. And yet these leaders were leading instead with selfishness and with cruelty. They weren't caring for God's people. We find something similar in in the prophet Jeremiah's writings. He rebukes the leaders of Judah. He says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock. You've banished them and have not attended to them. And so I'm about to attend to you because of your evil acts. I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I've banished them and I will return them to their grazing land and they will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or discouraged nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Shepherds were supposed to tend and gather, not scatter and neglect. And so God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I'm gonna find new leaders. I'm gonna find new shepherds for my people. And notice that the result of these faithful shepherds is that the people will no longer be afraid or discouraged or missing. That faithful shepherds not only account for the people, they put them at ease. They were to comfort and encourage them. Think about Psalm 23. This is probably the most famous passage about shepherding in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. And even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the epitome of faithful shepherding. Perhaps most significant for our consideration of 1 Peter 5 is what we find in John's gospel at the very end. You remember Peter, the same Peter that's writing this letter to these believers in Asia Minor, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And you remember Peter, in particular, betrayed his Lord three times. And Peter finds himself in this place of not even knowing if he's qualified anymore, not even knowing if God's going to use him anymore. Jesus meets Peter at the beach. And he restores Peter. He reaffirms his love for Peter and his choice of Peter. And he does so by telling Peter three times, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus is telling Peter that his primary calling was to tend to God's people and to feed them. And I cannot help but think that this scene is in Peter's mind as he's writing to these elders in Asia Minor, telling them to shepherd the flock of God. When you put the pieces together, shepherding God's flock involves faithfully caring and looking after God's people. Faithfully caring for and looking after God's people. In the book, the shepherd leader, Timothy Whitmer, breaks this down into four headings. He says elders are supposed to know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. Shepherds know the sheep under their care. Notice what Peter says specifically here. He says, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. The flock that's among you. Shepherds have a specific responsibility to know the sheep in their fold. To, to know the members in their church. It would it'd be impossible for, for David May to shepherd every believer in Wichita. But, but he can shepherd the ones that are in this flock. And so it's the responsibility of shepherds to, to know the sheep under their watch. The ones that are among them. This, by the way, is one reason why I think church membership is biblical. There has to be a way to define the among you sheep that shepherds are responsible for. And this idea of knowing the sheep means having significant personal interactions and relationships with church members. Jesus said in John 10, 14, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And faithful elders should take their cues from Jesus. Jesus is our model. And so to put it really simply, shepherds should smell like sheep. They should know sheep by name. Elders are not called to isolated studies in ivory towers. They're, they're called to the sheep pen. Elders are called to living rooms and, and ball fields and coffee shops, amen, and neighborhood parties and hospital beds. Brothers, listen to me. We shepherd the flock by knowing the flock. Secondly, elders feed the sheep. And feeding the sheep means giving them a steady gospel diet. The Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the word. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, 
correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. As Timothy searched for faithful elders to appoint in Ephesus, Paul told him to identify men who are able to teach. In the letter of 2 Timothy, he, he tells him to find faithful men who will teach others also. Paul couldn't be any clearer with Timothy. Hey, you got to find men who are able to teach and instill the word in others who are going to teach others also. That there has to be this faithful deposit of, of the gospel. Elders hold the responsibility of making sure that the sheep are fed the word. Now, now this does not mean that every elder has to preach as good as Brett Wiley, Right? But it does mean that elders are men of the book who can lead Bible studies and facilitate discussions and they have a demonstrated ability to make disciples. Charles Spurgeon once remarked about John Bunyan, he said, prick him anywhere, his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. Elders should be men who bleed Bible. They're comfortable in the biblical text. They, they know the overarching storyline of the scriptures and its major themes. That's called biblical theology. They, they know the terms and categories. That's called systematic theology. And they're able to teach others these things. And this leads into a third aspect, which is protecting the flock. Elders are called to protect the flock. And one of the ways that they protect the flock is by guarding the church from false teaching and heresy. Elders defend the gospel from perversions of it. I think the two most common that I see in the church today are legalism and licentiousness. Some people pervert grace into the freedom to just sin liberally without any cost. Elders are to shepherd the sheep away from that. Others try to add to the gospel and say it's Jesus plus, and elders are called to shepherd the sheep away from that and say it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Elders protect the church from unbiblical ideas that creep in. But this protection idea goes beyond doctrine. Elders are also called to chase down sheep who are straying from God, to, to gently restore those who have fallen in sin, to confront the unrepentant and to call them back to God, and to ward off wolves who would divide the church and prey on the weak. Elders have to be ready to carry a staff. An elder doesn't want to stick his neck out and get messy. He cannot fulfill his calling, which means being an elder is, is less about serving on a board than it is serving in the trenches. And I think this takes us into the last thing that I want to say here, which is that elders not only know and feed and protect the sheep, they also are called to lead them. In our passage, Peter tells the elders to, to oversee the flock. The ESV makes this more explicit when it says, it translates that exercising oversight. It's a phrase that connotes governance. Elders are called to guide the church forward. And this means making faithful decisions about the health and the direction of the body of Christ to ensure that its congregation is following Jesus. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells the church, this is every believer, that the goal of every believer is to grow up into Christ in every way. That the goal of every Christian is to become mature in Christ. But then it says in verse 12 that specifically he gave to the church shepherds to equip the saints in that task. And so, and so elders play the role of equipping the saints so that they can become mature disciples and do the work of ministry. 
which means elders are responsible for discipling every man, woman, and child in the church. It's, it's their job to ensure that that is happening. There has to be a plan. But beyond systems and structures, I think the number one way that elders do this is by example. Notice what Peter says in verse 3, setting examples for the flock, being examples to the flock. Leading in the context of the local church is never do as I say, but not as I do. Did you ever get that one as a kid? Hey, you just need to do as I say, not as I do. We knew that was bull. (laughs) Elders are called to be pace setters. They should be able to say like the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, this doesn't mean the elders are sinless. doesn't mean that they're super Christians. It just means that their lives are worthy of emulation. One of the greatest ways that elders set the pace is, is through repentance. We've actually made this a standard of leadership among our elders that, that leaders are lead repenters. Leaders are lead confessors. If you can't confess sin, you can't lead. Elders are called to set the pace. This actually takes us into our second big idea in these verses. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock, but he emphasizes how they're to do so. Look back at verse two with me. Peter says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. This comes as a surprise to no one, but you can can lead for the wrong reasons. And Peter is concerned here not only with what elders do, but how and why they do. So we notice three negative traits that Peter mentions here, that you you could shepherd out of compulsion, or out of greed, or out of dominance. These deal with the temptations of ego and selfishness and power. First he says to oversee not out of compulsion, but willingly. This this idea of compulsion conveys the idea of, of doing it because you feel like you have to. There is such a thing as a godly sense of compulsion, right? This is when we feel constrained by God to do something. When the, when the Holy Spirit burdens our heart, that's healthy compulsion. But there's also this, this unhealthy sense of compulsion. And this is when you do something begrudgingly, right? Elders who don't really want to serve are a drain on the church. Begrudging elders are a burden. Now, clearly, there are moments where the weight feels daunting, Right? But on the whole, what Peter's saying here is if you don't want to do it, then don't. Paul told Timothy that if anyone aspires to be an elder, he desires a noble task. There there needs to be this sense of aspiration, this sense of of, of desire that you, you want to lead the body of Christ. But I think there's another sense of compulsion here that Peter could be identifying, and and, and that is the temptation to overestimate yourself as indispensable to the church. Brothers, there's only one who is indispensable to the church, and that's Jesus. And so Peter could be warning here not to let your ego get the best of you. By the way, can I just say as a caveat here, I know I'm talking primarily to the elders. All of this plays for all of us. At a critical moment in my ministry, 
I had a counselor remind me, Andy, churches tend to move on real quickly. If, if you were to leave, they'd move on without you. You're non-essential. You know what? That was a really faithful counselor. I needed to hear that. We're all replaceable. Don't shepherd because you think you're desperately important and necessary. That's your ego talking. That's not the Holy Spirit talking. Instead, what Peter says is shepherd willingly. Out of a sense of honor. Shepherd out of a sense of, of privilege that you get to shepherd God's people. Not that you have to shepherd God's people. Secondly, Peter says, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. This deals with the temptation to make leadership about personal gain instead of the good of others. This is perhaps most tempting for the, the, the pastors who are paid, like Brett and myself, to, to begin to view pastoring merely as a means of drawing a paycheck. Now, the New Testament teaches that those who teach and rule well are, are worthy of a double honor. I, I take that to mean that elders who devote their full-time attention to the, to the church deserve to get paid, but it, it, it's not wrong to pay pastors, but it is wrong for those pastors to begin to treat ministry simply as a job. And so Peter is driving elders away from a sense of duty toward the delight of getting to do gospel ministry. But even for lay elders who aren't compensated, there's, I think there's this temptation to begin to love a title more than people. You can begin to view eldership as an opportunity to pad a resume or, or, or to build a platform instead of a call to care for parishioners. And so Peter, ha Peter here says, shepherd the flock eagerly, not greedily. Don't make it about you. And this leads into the last thing he says, which is not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. To lord your authority over someone is to leverage your authority to serve yourself. It's to be domineering or worse, even oppressive in the way that you lead. This language recalls Jesus' words to his disciples in Mark 10. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? They, they were getting in this argument about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus pulls them in and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will become your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus leveraged his authority to serve. And he is our ultimate example of servant leadership. Paul says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And, and when he had become man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Fellow elders, we set the example by following the example of Jesus. Look to Christ who emptied himself and became a servant. Paul says, adopt the same attitude.
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now notice what happens, Peter says, when when elders lead the church in the pattern of Jesus. Peter says that it invites a response from the congregation that actually leads to a manifestation of God's grace. In verse 5, Peter shifts from the elders to those who are younger. Now, I, I don't think that Peter's speaking strictly about age here. I think he's, he's talking about those who are perhaps younger spiritually. He's talking to the congregation. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in response to Christ-like leadership, Peter says to the the church members, he says, you should fall under the leadership of your elders. As elders shepherd in the pattern of Jesus, they invite the glad and willing submission of the congregation. And then Peter zooms out a bit and he says, all of you, he's talking to leaders, he's talking to members, he says, everyone, clothe yourselves in humility. Humility is not the pendant that you wear on your outfit, it's the pants you put on. It's not an accessory, it's it's the outer robes. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Think about this in the context of first century Asia Minor. Out there in the world, things were hard. Believers are struggling. They feel, they feel like exiles. They feel out of place. They're suffering mistreatment for their faith in Jesus. He says, out there in the world, things are hard. But in here, in, in the church, in the gathering of the believers, things are different. In here, elders care for weary saints. In here, leaders model the way to follow Jesus. They inspire courage as they suffer the cost. In here, shepherds protect and care for the sheep. They put them at ease. In here, they pursue the wandering and the wayward. In the church, you walk into an atmosphere where everyone is concerned with each other's needs. The mature care for the new to faith. The weary are strengthened by the well-rested. The the broken are put together by brothers and sisters who love them. In here, saints look out for and care for one another. And members gladly come under the elders' care and leadership, and they graciously follow their guidance. And what Peter's saying here is that when elders lead in the pattern of Jesus and the church submits to their shepherding guidance, Peter says something supernatural happens. God begins to pour out his grace on that congregation. A culture of humility begets an outpouring of God's grace. This is not manufactured. This is is miraculous. God says that he'll do it by his spirit. Do you want to experience a manifestation of God's grace in City Life Church? I do. We don't manufacture that by creating the right environment and ambiance in our, in our worship. We do it through humility. Live in humility, Peter says, with one another. Don't approach church, as Zach exhorted us as we began this morning, 
selfishly and consumeristically. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Outdo one another in showing honor. When every person humbles herself, God gives grace to that congregation. He he pours out undeserved kindness on that group of people. And consider the opposite reality. A proud church isn't just absent of God's grace. Peter actually says something more drastic than that. He says God resists the proud. He is actively against a group of believers who are focused only on themselves. He is against leaders who lead out of ego, greed, and power. Do you want to find yourself on the opposing sideline of the Almighty? Peter says, exalt yourself. Do you want to experience his grace? Humble yourselves. So how do we know if we're clothing ourselves in humility? As you're well aware, we've recently had some challenges with the chiller here at City Life. It's been limping along for a while now, and there have been some Sundays recently where the temperature outside was 106, and we felt it in here. And it's unpleasant, isn't it? I've seen you fanning yourselves, pulling at your shirts because you're sticking from sweat. I think that's an illustration for us of of what happens when a church forfeits its humility. When church leaders begin to lead out of compulsion or out of power, when consumerism takes over its members and they're focused only on themselves, things get sticky and unpleasant. The atmosphere is unwelcoming. Everyone feels it. Guests are turned off. It's not hospitable. And worst of all, God is nowhere to be found. I wonder what it's like to be in your atmosphere. One of the ways that we're beginning to try to identify future elders at City Life is simply to ask, what's it like to be in his atmosphere? Is he the kind of person that brings refreshment or discomfort? You ever been working outside on a hot summer day and walked inside an air-conditioned house and just poured yourself a glass of sweet tea? I realize I just went really Southern there. It's, you have your dream, I'll have mine, all right? Man. There's nothing more refreshing when you've been sweating out in the hot sun than walking inside an air-conditioned room and getting a glass of sweet tea. Peter says that's what it's like to step into the atmosphere of a humble congregation. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. Because God is actively pumping the cool breeze of his grace into that atmosphere. Elders are called to set the pace here. They control the thermostat. The congregation is invited to follow suit. And when that happens, a foretaste of the new creation is felt. It's like a little touch point of heaven 
to be in that sort of an atmosphere. Peter reminds us here in verse four that the chief shepherd is coming soon. He's going to take us into the eternal still waters and green pastures. He's gonna take us into the eternal air conditioned and sweet tea environment. He's gonna take us into the environment where he is the shepherd and we are all the sheep and we're in his care forever. That day is coming, church. But until then, he says, let's live in the grace that God provides by dwelling together in unity and humility. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.